This is Starforged Tabula Rasa, written and performed by Redstone Archer. Based on the game by Sean Tompkin. Hey, this is Redstone here. Just a quick warning before we start this behind-the-scenes episode of Starforged Tabula Rasa. At the very end of the episode, we delve into our connection in the sector we create, and there are elements revealed that have not been revealed in the fiction yet. Not for a while. So, spoiler warning. Hello, and welcome to yet another behind-the-scenes episode of Starforge Tabula Rasa. I am the creator and performer, whatever, Redstone Archender, and thank you for joining me this week as we finish our world-building for Starforge Tabula Rasa. We only have a couple things left to cover, and I'll be honest, I did record my creation of these things but i got a little too into my own head and just kind of mumbled through it so i'm gonna go through after the fact and i'll go into what roles were made and then what decisions i made with those roles let's begin with the ship itself so for reference i'm on page 98 of the preview edition we're basically starting on the table giving the starship a history Envision how you obtained or earned this starship. You can come up with your own origin or roll or pick from the table below. Yada, yada, yada. Again, we're rolling everything for this. And I rolled a 55, which is granted by an organization or community. So we don't know what our main character does or who they're affiliated with. But we know that when we find out what it is they do, this ship will be somehow connected with that. The next question is, who owns the starship? Well, I believe it's probably owned by that organization. So we will find out who, you know, what that is later. Uh, so jump into the next one. Envision the starship. Your ship is an important aspect of your character and a character in its own right. What does it look like? What makes it interesting or you? or uniquely yours. Does it have any particular quirks? If nothing occurs to you now, you can flesh it out and play or roll once or twice on the table below. And I decided to roll because that's what we're doing, we're rolling. And the very first roll is a four, and the engine room is scorched with old burn marks. And the next roll is a 72, which is segmented landing gear unfold like gnarly spider legs all right so that's that last one's a little creepy pair especially paired with the idea of these old burn marks and the last bit on page 99 is actually name your starship but i'm actually going to wait to name that and i'm going to use an oracle table that's actually in the book on page 167 but i'm going to wait for that 
until we're actually in gameplay. Now, technically, that is the end of the build your own starship part, and the next step is actually choose. Step six on page 100 is choose your final asset. But we've already done the asset thing. We've already done step seven, which is choose your stats. But I still had a question about this ship. And part of it is, is I think a lot of things have been repurposed. A lot of things are kind of makeshift because we are in this future of scavenged, you know, whatnot. So the question I have is, what is the original purpose of this ship? And I'm going to roll on the, on the action and theme tables to give me just a, a hint of, of what was this ship originally? What was it built for? And uh, we get a 27 on the action which is create, and 54 on the theme, which is life. So the original purpose was to create life. For me, this immediately came to mind the idea that if you're in space, especially if there was like the Exodus fleet, you're, you're going to have some sort of food production that's got to come along with you. You've got waste disposal and whatnot. And I imagine that they might have this ship could could have been basically a, a food creator. Basically, um, and one of the things in my own personal life I've been looking into recently is aquaponics, which is a method for growing food. The basics of it is actually like aqua, uh, hydroponics, where you have plants that actually sit in kind of like a rocky bed or some sort of medium that uh, allows the roots to have some structure. And then you have water constantly filling and unfilling around the roots, and they supply all the nutrients that the roots need. But aquaponics takes this another step forward, which is so in order to get the nutrients into the water with hydroponics, usually you buy these big old jars, these, these big things of chemicals, and you can test on uh, the regular and you see what kind of things your plants are eating, and you just dump them into the system. Instead of doing that, you can actually have something far more natural, which is if you have certain breeds of fish, uh, they work, some, some breeds of fish work better than others, but if you have fish in the system, the fish, they eat food, and they excrete out through their gills nitrogen in a form that's really good for the plants. They also excrete waste, and, and what you have to do, though, is in like that meeting where the roots are, you have some, you know, the very particular kinds of bacteria that take the waste, take the, the nitrogen, and they process it into a way that plant roots can absorb them, and the cool thing is, is like, like hydroponics, the, a lot of plants grow better, like, like faster, bigger. The nice thing with this is if you set it up in the right way, you can actually take like your regular waste, uh, like food waste and, uh, and you know other kinds of waste. You can have basically things eat that, and then you can have smaller fish eating like those molds, those um, the things that break down the, the biological matter. The fish eat that. You have little fish, you have bigger fish eat them, and you have this like closed loop system. Well, it's not quite closed loop, but it's pretty close. And you can also eat the fish. So it's one of those. It, you can get protein and a lot of your, your vitamins here. I don't know. So basically, uh, I found that super cool. And after seeing Create Life, that's what the ship is. It's definitely going to be something that has a ton of food on it. Something that would help feed more people than it would house. Part of me thinks that um, our main character at one point likely was using this in some way. I, I'm not, I mean, I think if they have the ship, it also came in handy for something else. Like whether, I'm not sure what that is. We'll find out when we find out the background. So speaking of backgrounds, we've got one last thing to set up this world. And that is, where are we beginning? And there's a section here immediately after character creation called building a starting sector. So what is a sector? Directly from the book, a sector is a settled or explored area of space. In the fiction of your setting, sectors are named and provide the people to forge a common means of identifying a location or mapping the domains of a power faction. For example, someone might say the bleak hold station in the devil's maw so your character would need more precise charts or coordinates to actually pinpoint the station in the devil's maw sector but it's a start basically we are going to create uh the starting area of space that's been at least somewhat settled for us step one is choosing your starting region and now uh to backtrack a little bit just explain what the different 
areas are. You've got the terminus, which is where uh, initially the exodus landed, and these are settlements are relatively common. Uh, space-borne routes between communities are usually well-charted. If you want to focus on interacting with other people and communities, start here. Then there's the outlands, which is this region represents an area of recent expansion. Settlements are scattered and navigational paths are often uncharted and perilous. If you envision yourself as a spacer on a wild frontier, start here. And then there's the expanse. Only a few bold pioneers have delved these far, far-flung reaches. If you're ready to face the dangers of lonely exploration within uncharted space, start here. And then there's the void. In the reaches beyond the forge, isolated stars are separated by vast gulfs of nothing. Travel and settlement here is impractical, if not impossible. Don't start your campaign here. So, um, I'm actually so going to break this up. Sounds like the Outlands might be the better starting point. But because I'm trying to keep everything random, um, I'm going to build a little table real quick. And uh, it sounds like the game's kind of hinting for what I'm feeling a little bit towards the Outlands. But I want this to be random. So I'm doing the Terminus. So I'm going to roll a d10. And I'm, so I'm, I'm just slightly favoring the Outlands. So Terminus is going to be 1 to 3. Outlands, 4 through 7, and then 8, 9, and 10 are uh, in the Expanse. But I rolled a 9. So we are in the Expanse, and step 2 is determine the number of settlements. In here, it says a settlement, if we're in the Expanse, it should have two settlements. This isn't how we normally populate other sectors you'll explore. This just gives us something manageable for this exercise. So we've got two settlements to worry about, and we're going to generate, for step three, generate settlement details. And we're going to use the settlement oracles on page pages 160 through 163. And our first role tells us our, our first settlement is going to be in deep space. Its population is in the dozens and... Oh yeah, and then here's where I made a weird mistake in uh, my creation of this, is I rolled twice on the authority table, which are only supposed to roll once. And so I rolled that the uh, authority of the station is both oppressive and fair. So yeah, that was probably very silly and stupid. Uh, we rolled that it has beautiful architecture, Oh, and obvious social stratification. So this is where the fair thing did not make any sense to me. Uh, and then we look at the settlement projects, which are defense and pacifism. And we get the settlement name Syroko. Syroko. So here's the weird part. I have this written down. But I don't have a numerical role that went with it. And I don't see Sirocco on the settlement name list. So I don't know where I got this name. But that's the name. So, yeah. Sorry about that. And then we do have a second settlement. And they are an orbital station. So since they're an orbital station, they have to be in orbit around something. So what is that? They are around a Jovian world. So a big gas... Ball. Tyrannus is the name of the Jovian world. 
and floating around it is Silvana. So Silvana is an orbital station around the Jovian world of Tyrannus. There are hundreds of people living in a... Oh, they are a tolerant authority. Uh, they, at first look, they are a multi-level building in a defensible position. And they work on medical and salvage. Their, their settlement trouble is they, are, they have been betrayed from within. So let's look into what Tyrannus is. So it's the Jovian planet, and we get that it has a breathable atmosphere for some strange reason. It has powerful magnetic fields and severe electrical storms. Those two seem to go together. Um, there are floating islands, diverse life, and safe creatures. And the main thing here is that it also orbits a white dwarf. Which, that's a little spooky since I believe in our truths we were saying that some of the horrors are particularly dense. They seem to show up around white dwarf stars. Which actually, since the thing, they do medical knowledge, maybe... Maybe that's part of why they're here. Oh, that might also be why it's more of a defensible position is people don't want to go to systems with a white dwarf because that's kind of freaky. Oh, and so we we did step four, which was generate planets. If any of the settlements are located on a planet or in orbit around a planet, you can identify and name the planet to help flesh out the nature of the location, which we did that. We generated the star. I created a sector map, which I've actually scanned and I think I'll throw up on the web at some point. And then we create passages. Oh, okay. So one of the things I was thinking about this was how do you get an oppressive but fair government with obvious social stratification? And the thing that came up to me was that Maybe an AI is running the station, which, of course, is a little weird because AIs can't be near like the, the energies of the forge often corrupt them. So maybe what it is, is that this deep space station, it's in deep space away from the star because it doesn't want to be near any of uh, the drifts. It doesn't want to be anywhere near uh, the E drives and potentially there's some way to get maybe they actually have some sort of protection so that e-drives don't work around it so i like that and maybe the idea there is that and we it, they do defense and pacification so part of what i was thinking so uh, how i connected it all is that there are unfortunately there's an ai that runs the station there are like kind of more like droids there that actually keep the that actually maybe you don't yeah there are droids there that that can actually like physically withhold people and whatnot but i think part of it too is the thing that i came up with is that all of the humans wear collars that actually like monitor uh, all of the workers and uh will actually pacify them what happened was uh, the AI had decided that it, the equality was important and strictly, strongly, oppressively enforces it. So all humans have to wear these collars. Basically, they, they, they police everyone very hard. And part of that is like an, the AI 
probably can as it's an advanced AI where it has algorithms that kind of see farther into the future. So it's constantly manipulating the populace that way. Again, that was due to a screw up on my end for rolling on the authority table twice, but I did and we're still going with it. Oopsie daisies. And then step eight for creating a settlement or a starting sector is zoom in on a settlement, which I already did. And that was the do the first look and the settlement trouble, which is why we know that Silvana is having trouble from being betrayed from within. And now we're going to create a local connection. A connection represents an important relationship with a non-player character, NPC. You will create connections with NPCs, advance those relationships over the course of your narrative, forge bonds, yada yada. Uh, it's explaining how to do all that. And you should give your connection a role, give them a rank. And then at the end, we give the sector some trouble, which is Raider Clan emerges as a dominant threat under a new leader. And the name of the sector is the Delphi Reach. Now, I skipped over something here. Um, if you are following along with the book somehow, it, which is create a local connection. We didn't actually do that. I did mention it earlier, but I skipped it initially because I did something different than the book actually suggests. So there's a book that I'm using, which I cannot actually recommend to you, uh, the listener, for two reasons. One... It is out of print, and it's super expensive. I actually picked this up at thetrove.is. It's a great website with just a ton of role-playing books archived. I usually end up buying the books that I really love, but it gives me a way to try the books. But on top of that, the, the bigger factor, uh, which is something I've actually manipulated out of the book, which is um, the book is somewhat homophobic. It's just it it has some very there's actually a little warning in the book about how, oh, it's it's all about these Christian values and whatnot. And if, if you're Christian, that's fine. But it's very much anti-gay. It, it has it, there's it's problematic. And I have made some notes where basically if. Like some of the negative traits that will pop up with it's a book of just tables where you just roll, 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 and it gives you all these weird details about characters. But I've changed some of the things where uh, some of the negative traits are that they're that they're homosexual. And I changed specifically that one. I instead of being homosexual, they're homophobic. And, and things like that. So I've made some changes like that. We get some weird roles with this. And in the end, so... It, a bunch of this is stuff that our main character isn't going to know, but I, I feel is going to help me. I need to know something about a character, at least, even if it's not mine, there needs to be somebody to play off of. And so we have, so I, I did use the name generator because there's not a name generator in the other book. And plus I want to kind of keep the names in the theme here and it's Ulan Finn. And we find out through using the central casting Heroes for Tomorrow that uh, his mother died young. Uh, his father supported him and four siblings. He is the youngest. At age six, he was blackmailed over the safety of family and became a bandit. At the age of six, uh, this he became a skilled thief. At age 10, he's noticed by an alien race and groomed. 
which so in our world so the book just says an alien race we only have one alien race that we know anything about that's still active in the forge and that's the essentia and so he was groomed by them somehow at age 11 he watches a grandparent die in front of them uh at age 12 he fell in love with an android which i'm not really sure how that totally works but you know at age 14 he develops skills in uh holography like a manipulating holograms we find out he knows the essentia language oh and he is actively spying uh for the alien race so he is currently spying for the essentia in this region of space and he's at the station sylvana which we know that their problem is they've been betrayed from within huh interesting connection there Hmm, I wonder if we'll have that work together. Oh, and then we had one more role, which was um, his motivation or uh, came up with a, an event happened that that scared him, which was uh, three years ago. Ulan witnessed the Essentia create a being of pure energy that he fears and hates. But somehow he witnessed this and it it, it seems to have turned Ulan against the essentia at least at some point that's his main motivation yeah so that there we have it we have our contact uh we have ulan is there and the the fact that ulan i think he's underground like i think part of the way he gets away with some of uh his contacting or being in connection with Essentia is that he comes off as somebody who's like, maybe I, I rolled to see if people believed he's, he's a very, he studies them if he, as a hobbyist and it came and I, I thought it was like 50, 50 came up that he was. So, so people know he has a connection with them. They don't know how deep it is. I don't believe. Oh, and then I, I wrote that our main character has no clue about that. He just knows that Ulan is on the station. Oh, and I wrote his role is he's an engineer. So I think he actually works not because of the Essentia stuff on the station. I think that's like his his other gig is that he he part time. I think we we mentioned earlier um in the world building that that knowledge is very we lost a lot of knowledge and knowledge is is the most expensive most most valuable resource and i think he deals in knowledge about the essentia too so he you know that this he's like a double agent but i think that so for me the fact that he we know all the life generally speaking in the forge that's not human was actually created by the essentia that he has this this parasite whatever however he came in contact with it it makes sense that somehow he was on his way to ulan because of the parasite but the question is whether or not that was from before or like did was was it always the plan to come here or did he find it and ulan is the only essentia expert he knows i don't know uh, we're gonna play to find out. Intro and outro stolen from Cakewalking Babies from Home by One Nickel Jazz Band. Everything else by me. Or the new tabletop role-playing game Iron Sworn Starforge by Sean Tompkins. Thank you so much for listening. To learn what happens, keep listening.
This show is brought to you ad-free by Privilege. No ads, no Patreon, just a cishet white man with disposable income and time. It is performed, edited, and all that good stuff by Redstone Archender. The story is powered by the game Ironsworn Starforged by Sean Tompkin. Outro by Glitter Snitchel, channeling the spirits. This has been a Sofa King Cool production.